Hey everyone, welcome to Ask Shane Anything for May 2021. This is a live call that I do with patrons who pledge $7 or more per month, once a month. It happens every second Saturday, uh, and this is the May edition. If you'd like to participate, as I said, just pledge at $7 or more per month. The show is archived for everyone else a couple days later. The show has a lot of post-production to uh, handle before I can get it up, but we try to get it posted for everyone else as quickly as we can. So we got a nice little group of folks in here today to ask questions. This episode might be a little bit shorter than usual. I'm going to get my second vaccination shot here shortly, which I'm very excited about. Hopefully you guys are doing the same thing. You're getting your shots or getting your second one like I am so we can all get back to life as normal let's kick things off our first question let's go to aaron who is sorefear on sifted what's up aaron hey not much Shane. how you doing i'm pretty good man it's the weekend i've been playing um hood outlaws and legends which is better than i expected i'll oh, say nice. that um it reminds me of like a really robust multiplayer mode that might appear in assassin's creed um, I don't know if the price is fair when you consider it on those grounds, but it's fun. I've been having a lot of a good time with it. I've been playing uh, Mass Effect, the Legendary Edition, too. Um, I have a feeling I'm going to just get rid of Hood here in the afternoon and just dive completely in on Mass Effect because there's so much content there to get through. Matt and I have kind of split it up. He's tackling the first game. I'm tackling the second and then if we have time, both of us are going to kind of jump on the third before game face on Tuesday. But we'll see. Anyway, what's your question? Um, what's my question? Uh, okay, I'll ask you this question. Uh, a few years ago, when Mario Maker 2 on the Switch was sort of in its highs, uh, I was really getting into um, making these like ghost, uh, ghost house puzzle levels. Okay. I want to know if you're up to the challenge to stream maybe 20 or 30 minutes of trying to beat some of, uh, of these puzzle challenge levels. Huh, that's a good question. Um, well, I'll, I'll say this. I like <laughs> the fact that they're puzzle levels and they're not impossible levels. Exactly. I, I, I've made a very strong effort in all the levels that I've made to try and make a level that's like a level and not like uh, an auto run or like you're not going to be able to beat this, you know, to try to encapsulate the spirit of, yeah, of, a, Mario. of, Mar of a real Mario game. I think that's what, what's really been lost in both the first Super Mario Maker and the second one. And it might be just a factor of people just aren't interested in playing real levels from people that are not named Miyamoto. I don't know. But it became... Get, I'm sorry, like, what'd you say, Aaron? How, how do you get found? Like, it's, it's yeah. so many And it takes time. It takes, uh, you know, you can't just throw one of these levels together, right? So... Yeah, I mean, that's what turned me off to creating levels ultimately in Super Mario Maker is it was just too time-consuming. And granted, they did make the game about as user-friendly as possible. I can't imagine an easier way to make Mario levels, but it still was just too much of a time commitment. And then I would play them, and I'd be like, eh, that didn't turn out as good as I thought. And then nobody else would play them. Because as you said, the whole interface is just so overloaded with content, and the sorting options aren't great. And the stuff that they're bubbling up is the stuff that you talked about, like the auto runners or the ones that are just like, this is balls hard, try to beat it. And you can't, um, unless you spend three days or whatever trying to beat it. So I like that your levels are more like traditional Mario levels. Will I commit to doing a stream where I try to beat your levels? Yes, I will. I absolutely will. Um, we'll try to structure it so that 
it's not just your levels. We'll try to get maybe some levels from, from some other people. Um, <laughs> but I will absolutely try to organize something and get something together to do that. I'm not promising anything until E3 is over, though. Um, no I don't worries. think. I don't think people realize E3 is like three weeks away right now. It's pretty crazy. It's creeping up because, you know, the the pre-show hype and marketing hasn't really been there like it has been in years past. Um, so, but yeah, it's coming up in three weeks. So I'm starting to shift into E3 mode here soon to start planning our coverage, start looking at the schedule, uh, seeing when everything is happening and trying to coordinate all that stuff with Matt. And uh, we're probably going to need a TriCaster TD for E3. I think that's one thing I won't be able to, handle like doing tricaster duties and discussing stuff uh, so i have a lot of planning to do for that and that's just three weeks away so not promising anything until after e3 uh, but okay. after that i will absolutely do it um and everybody start maybe everyone should start putting together some super mario maker levels right now in anticipation for the live stream that we'll do i'll try to get it done before the end of june is that fair oh yeah i know that sounds great and actually, a follow-up. Now that I think about it, what do you think of? I don't. I don't think you guys have talked about uh, Nintendo's new programming initiative. This uh, garage. I can't remember the exact name, um, but it's garage coming band. out. <laughs> what is it actually? I'm. I, I'm not even aware of it. That's why we haven't discussed it. I guess. Yeah, they just did a little uh, announcement trailer maybe a week or two ago, and it's like uh, it literally is, will let you program your own game. So. Oh. Uh, yeah so it's super mario maker times 50 but it's not all set in the mario universe basically it, it reminds me a little bit of the stuff that they were doing with labo but oh. cu but cut out the vr stuff and okay. it's and you're programming the game part um oh. board right it's just the the digital aspect will it work with the cardboard stuff from labo or no no, it's, it's just it reminded me of some okay. of the stuff like of Labux. It was like teaching how to do this and get it to da, 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 like. Oh, OK, um, I think that's a great idea. We've had apps and games like that in the past. RPG Maker has been around for forever, but RPG Maker was the first. And I think it goes a little bit overboard. Um, it's just too complicated. And then the end product isn't as visually arresting or interesting as the stuff you're getting out of uh, Mario Maker. I would even argue that Dreams is a little too complicated. Um, it's easy to build basic stuff and basic levels, but when you start getting into like adding in logic and physics and pathfinding and things mm -hmm. like that, that's where it starts to get... That's where I wish I had like a mouse and keyboard. That was really one of my big hangups with Dreams was trying yeah. to do that stuff a lot of it you do it with motion controls which is to me just crazy yeah um and it's it's a fine line to walk in between accessibility and having the ability but also having the ability to make something compelling that people actually care about and piling on a bunch of features so you can make really cool stuff but then you're excluding a big part of the audience it's tough yeah. uh, but one thing i will say is if there's a publisher or a developer that i have faith could pull off something like that it's nintendo um I think we've seen it already with two Mario Maker games. I mean, I never dreamed that, no pun intended, that so many people would dive in on Mario Maker. I really thought that it would be this thing where like 10% of the people who play it actually create anything and the other 90% are just consuming what those people create. And I think that has been kind of true of Dreams uh, for the most part and some of those other kind of game building tools. Uh, with Mario Maker, they made it so intuitive and the end result was so fun uh, that I think Nintendo kind of broke through that glass ceiling. So I think Nintendo's the right company to do it. Um, I do wonder, though, how flexible it will be if it is Nintendo doing it, because it's 
it could have made Mario Maker way more complex than it did, but it chose not to. So I'm wondering if it, if Nintendo will do the same thing with this new product and end up creating this lowest common denominator thing that doesn't appeal to a wider audience of folks. So um, I love it, but it, I don't think it'll be as successful as Super Mario Maker. Yeah, it seems like they're they're coming at it from a let's teach kids how to program. Yeah, I mean, I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to take over the space that Roblox has. Um, all my nieces and nephews, when they come over now on their iPad, they have Roblox and they're not playing stuff, although they will for a little bit and like giggle. But they're trying to make stuff because the other thing, too, about Roblox that is genius is that you can sell your stuff on there. So there's that dangling carrot out in front of you at all times where if you make something really good and it gets a ton of likes, which is honestly all my nieces and nephews care about. Then it could bubble up to some place where you're you can suddenly monetize it and get paid for it. Now, Nintendo, the way it handles its younger audience, it's, it handles it with kids gloves. And so I doubt that they're going to want kids involved in any kind of cash exchanges or anything like that. Um, but Nintendo could maybe gamify it in some way uh, to make it fun. I mean, in general, Nintendo's online stuff, its networking stuff is pretty lackluster. Um, mm -hmm. So, and you know, they won't let kids chat with each other. That's another thing I see my nieces and nephews doing. They're chatting with people while they play Roblox and Nintendo seems to block kids out of that stuff. So it sounds to me like Nintendo's kind of trying to move in on Roblox. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's something that every developer and publisher starts to do. Everyone saw the IPO. Everyone knows that if you build something like that, it has the potential to be worth billions and billions of dollars. Um, so I expect more publishers and developers to move into that space. Uh, but I do expect Nintendo will do a pretty good job with it. You have to also remember, if it's like Roblox with Nintendo IP, it could take over. Because <laughs> think about it. If you, if you can just, you, you have a Mario model from every Mar 3D Mario game ever made or whatever, that you can just plop down into whatever you create. That's a huge advantage for Nintendo. And then you think about all the other characters that Nintendo has and all the other worlds that they can give you templates from to just kind of snap together. It could be something huge, absolutely. But I do think that that is Nintendo looking at Roblox and being like, oh, we want a piece of that pie. If the tools were robust enough and out of spite the uh, people who did the, um, what, the Metroid remake or the Metroid 2 remake, like recreated it in this software, like, ha-ha, it's on your, yeah. like, yeah. got it on your platform anyway. Now, did, that, that'd be pretty fun. Aaron, do you know if Garage is 2D or 3D or both? Did Has Nintendo said yet? I don't know how I missed this, by the way. It's crazy. Well, you should pull up a trailer if you can, because there's a good two-minute trailer, and it's come up, It's like quick. Like They just announced it, and it's coming out in June. Wow. So they put this together. I mean, they've probably been working on this already for, I don't know, a couple of years, I would guess. Yeah. Uh, it looks like uh, you'll have the ability to do like top-down games side scrolling games like um, it looks like at least it's rendering in 3d right now it seems to be programming 2d but it's using 3d assets and stuff like that okay um and i don't know and well and uh, nope there's something moving in 3d so it looks like it looks like you can do basically both. do both um but probably because nintendo and stuff like that like look yeah someone made like uh, their own version of cooking mama there's like a a uh, Fall Guys type of thing going on there and tons of 2D stuff and 3D stuff in 2D. So it looks like you can kind of build whatever you want. And they're It'll trying be interesting to, to see what Nintendo does when someone builds the first like 200 foot penis. <laughs> <laughs> it's already in beta. 
Yeah, I'm sure it's already been there. They're going to need some really good reporting tools in that game, especially if people are allowed to model whatever they want and they're not just using existing assets, which has kind of been the saving grace for Super Mario Maker. Now you could build a level where you put the stuff together and it looks like some like a penis, but you couldn't just make something, an object like that yourself. Yeah. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see how Nintendo handles that, but it's a great idea. And I think it's going to make Nintendo a ton of money. And I think if Nintendo's smart, it will be free to play and they won't charge people for it. Again, I don't well, know if they've announced that yet. Like like in Smash Brothers, that's the only like banned technique is using the uh, Steve and because there's just enough blocks to build a penis <laughs> and you're not allowed to do that in a uh, in an official Nintendo tournament. That's funny, but not <laughs> you surprising your, at all. You'll be DQ, you'll be DQ'd. Capital D. <laughs> uh, it's that's it's funny. interesting because you guys uh, did a video or you guys on Game Face talked about Epic's four platform. Yeah. Um, not, and uh, on you guys talking about it, I downloaded it and checked it out. And I even thought, oh, this would be a fun little video series to do. So I have a little core 15, just 15 minutes with a random game and see what it's like and do a little sort of on the fly review. But what I found was uh, most of the, the games are very shallow experiences. Yeah. Uh, and that might be what we find with this uh, garage program as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like no one's going to go build like Jet Force Gemini in like garage. Like it's just not going to happen. There's it's just way too complicated. It takes way too much time. And especially early on, the payoff is going to be minimal until the audience grows for the game. Maybe four years into the project, maybe you start seeing stuff like that. But initially, yeah, it's going to I mean, if you have you fiddled around with Roblox before? No, I no. mean, it is very simple stuff. It's like a, a paddle ball. Like it's just a ball on a string and you just do this. Or it's like you go into a store and order ice cream. Like it's really stuff that simple. And like they built the counter and the person behind the counter and you walk up and you choose like what you want from a list and then they hand it to you. And that's like the whole game. Like that's it, it's funny. I've only ever, my only experience of Roblox has been the audio of you and Matt discussing it. <laughs> on game face and i've actually kind of kept it that way i don't want to look it up so i'm like slowly building this mind perspective of what it's supposed to look like like i don't even know what like the icon of the oh, game or oh. the color scheme so i'm like roblox like so i'm like <laughs> building this thing that's completely wrong but it's funnier to me like that because i'm sure the real thing wouldn't be as interesting as what i imagine it's probably not yeah i mean most of the games that i see my nieces and nephews playing i'm like why are you wasting your time on that but it's like half of the fun for them is like talking about how dumb the stuff is like in, in the chat or with their friends on social media or whatever they use, um, sharing videos on their TikToks from goofy games they find in Roblox and then all their friends commenting about it. Like it's, it's this whole thing. Um, and I is do that, believe Nintendo is trying that, to crack into that. Is that any more uh, like useless than the hours we would spend like just screwing around in MS paint? No. Like, <laughs> on our dad's office computer while we waited for him to get done at the movie, like just drawing no, the same, so different. basically drawing a black, like the, you know, the cartoon bomb and going, ha ha ha, I drew a bomb and yeah. then just do. <laughs> or spelling out boobs on a calculator. <laughs> I don't, I don't know how, uh, I don't know how Roblox handles, like I've just based on what you've said with like what you're just talking about now, I don't see Nintendo um, going in that direction with it. I don't see them saying, hey, let's all, you know, get all your friends together and laugh at how stupid this is. Yeah. It's going to be more of like, hey, build something compelling or learn how to program. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, but I think inevitably, Nintendo will have limited control over what people do with those tools. 
And just knowing that age group and that audience, my guess is that's the type of stuff that they're going to do. And that's going to probably make up the bulk of the content um, in their interface. I'm assuming it's all set up online. I'm worried about that part of it too. I mean, they did pretty well with the Super Mario Maker, but this is different. Um, so you're going to need a lot more sorting categories and things like that and classifications for the projects. And it'll be interesting to see how Nintendo handles it. I'm hoping that Nintendo, you know, uses this project to help beef up its other network initiatives, a sort of company wide, because it needs it. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw, but people are always asking Nintendo, are you going to acquire studios? Are you going to buy, you know, this studio or that studio to get more exclusive games? And the most recent statement from Nintendo was like, well, we have a ton of money and it literally has like $9.2 billion in cash right now. Um, but we're looking at buying like a technology company, not necessarily like a game development studio. And I have a feeling that maybe they're looking for some company to build out a real Nintendo network versus the kind of sham that we have right now. And my other guess too, is then the cost of it will go from $20 a year up to the typical 60 or whatever it is now for mm -hmm. Xbox live and PlayStation network. So, um, I think Nintendo's trying to prep for the future right now, once it has like a 4k, platform that can compete with the other platforms and it's not missing out on like all the third party games like it has been for the last i don't know like 15 years now um and so i think people may be disappointed in the companies that nintendo ultimately acquires with all its money uh but i think it's actually for the best because it needs to get up to speed with its other two competitors at this point in a number of different areas uh mikey do you have a question for me do you like people calling you mikey is that okay yeah, no, Mikey's fine. Uh, Mike or Mikey is fine. Uh, it's Michael that I don't respond oh. to. Not not because <laughs> not because not because I don't like it. It's just more my dad was Michael, and there's so many like so like I uh, just so are don't you a care. junior or a third? No, no, he's he's Michael Michael D Novak for David. I'm Michael Van Novak or oh. Van or Van Armer from my mother's maiden name. Gotcha. Um, yeah, the uh, <laughs> most most of the men in um on his side of the family the firstborn son gets the father's name uh, so that while my grandfather was still alive, uh, they actually got in the uh, in Cleveland newspaper for having four generations of Joe Novak. Wow. Like all together. Good. So it was Crazy. pretty cool. Hey, by the way, folks, if you recognize Mike's voice, you should. He does a lot of voice work for us. He voices game pass or fail every week. Uh, and while you're here and you're in front of everybody, I just want to thank you for all the voiceover work that you do for Sifted. You have a great voice, man. Oh, and thanks, man. And your voiceover continues to improve with every script that you read. So as long as I don't get sick, the last two weeks, like two <laughs> reads were tough. Like I'm like, all right, like cortical steroids. All right, let's go. <laughs> like, let's go. Let's clear record a paragraph, take another snort. Yeah. <laughs> I like, hear you. So but you got a I, question uh, for me? Yep, I got two. One's like a short little vapid one, and the other is more of an industry question. Okay. The uh, uh, the industry question, actually, I'll do the short vapid one so that the industry one is going to lost. Uh, if there was an IP um, that might be dead that you could like own and have control of, like money is not the thing. Like it's not for how valuable it is. It's just how much it personally means to you. And like you could just at whim make sure that more games get made in it or other people could enjoy it, what IP would that be? Because for me, it would be Commander Keen. I would wrest oh. that from the corpse, uh, from the, uh, the what, burial. Were there plans to make a new Commander Keen not long ago? There, there's there's some like thing that's owned by Bethesda that's like a, a mobile thing about like, I don't know, the niece and nephew of Commander Keen or the son and daughter or whatever. Like, uh -huh. And I was like, cool to see, like, to see it uh, 
the IP still kind of lives, but um, like there's a secret in one of the um, Wolfenstein episodes or one of the Doom episodes. There's a secret room where Commander Keen is strung up by a noose, like by like, and it's like the secret hidden room saying like, no, the, the the franchise is dead. I'm not making any more of these games or whatever. So I was like, maybe it's some like if I could own <laughs> if I could own the Commander Keen IP at some point, that would be like my favorite thing. Like, cause I just appreciate those games so much. They were my original games that I just loved. We'll keep you, new- we'll keep it in our thoughts and prayers. How about that? <laughs> you can use Nintendo's new uh, garage program and make your own commander. Community. There you go. There you go. We just, I love that. You just brought it right back to our earlier conversation. Um, I have a couple, I have a ton of properties I'd like to see come back, uh, but there's two in particular that I'll mention right now. The first is soul reaver. Um, I feel like, that is one IP from the past. One that I'm surprised has not continued. And two that I feel like would still be relevant and could be improved by today's standards. Uh, so to me, a Soul Reaver game in an open world would be amazing. I also feel like... Is Legacy of Kane a Soul Reaver game? It is, yeah. Okay. Yep. So it's like... we. I feel like the industry has kind of left games like that behind for whatever reason. Because how would you even classify that franchise? It's not... Is it sci-fi? Is it? I don't even know. I don't. Yeah, I... yeah. Because um, because like like you, a lot of the materials you look at and just the art and stuff, you're like, oh, that's just a fantasy game or whatever. Right. But if you actually play it, it's 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 more than just fantasy stuff like it's that. Sci going on. fantasy, I guess. Sci fantasy, quite a new term. <laughs> I don't know the um, but it seems like uh, like the closest equivalence you kind of have these days is like kind of like the dark, darks, uh, darks, uh like dark not souls dark, no no not dark souls um the four horsemen of the apocalypse games what'd you say Aaron? we lost you oh uh dark is it dark siders yeah dark siders yeah sorry like they yeah. kind of make feel like that a little bit more like a little of, bit biblical but also kind of high fantasy yeah yeah i mean depending on your perspective you could call that high fantasy anyway so yeah i would like to see that franchise come back uh it's been since did we get one on ps2 I don't even remember. I don't think we did. I think there was one in development and it never came out. Yeah, I don't I don't think so. I think they were all PS1. Yeah, so that's PS1 one property PC. I would like yeah. to see come back. I would also like to see someone like Amy Hennig go back and work on something like that. So Just complete a game. That would like, be nice too. It, it's been too long since we actually have been able to judge her work. It's like, true. I hope that her game is actually good whenever it comes out so yeah. that people can justify like the, the good oh, faith the, that they... the pining for her for the last like seven yeah. years i hear you man yeah. Yeah. it has been a while um and it's not her fault because she keeps working on stuff and then publishers keep canceling it but yeah we hope it wasn't yeah. her fault we don't think it was but yeah i would love to see nominators her, her. <laughs> i would love <laughs> like, to see her work on a franchise like that obviously her strength is storytelling and that's another part of that franchise that i thought was really strong even back in the playstation era so that's one and the other one I just mentioned about 15 minutes ago, and that's Jet Force Gemini. I think one of the most underrated games from that entire generation of consoles. Um, now, is it possible that it'll come back? I don't know. I don't know if Nintendo or Rare owns that IP. My guess would be that Nintendo owns it um, because Nintendo did publish it. And although it is in Rare Replay, so maybe Rare does own it at this point. Um, I liked the mix of that game. First of all, it was a rare game. So it was very polished. The combat was really good. It, in some ways, it was kind of like 
Ratchet and Clank before Ratchet and Clank because you had all these crazy weapons and items that you could use in the game. Um, and you could kind of play it how you wanted to based upon what you liked. Now, some bosses required specific weapons to, to defeat them. But the moment-to-moment gameplay from that game was really open-ended. You can kind of do whatever you want. The levels were huge. It almost felt like a pseudo-open-world game before those existed as well. Um, yeah. So I feel like Jet Force Gemini is an underappreciated franchise from the past that was honestly great. Like, I think when I reviewed it for my first website, I gave it like a four and a half out of five or something like that. Um, and I think it's it's aggregate from those review days way back when, when like five outlets reviewed games is like a nine something or higher. And there, you don't find many franchises like that where one game came out and it averaged like a nine or higher and then you never get another one. It just it just doesn't happen. And in these days with like remakes and remasters, at the very least, they're usually redone by now. And then they start talking about a sequel and they use the remaster as like, shoulder marketing to promote the new game or whatever. So that's the other franchise I think that I would kind of choose to come back if I had that power. Um, and it would be great to see rare do something a little more traditional as well. So those are my two, my two franchises. What's your next question? The other question was, uh, it was something, it's not brand new news. It was something that is kind of been under, uh, it was mentioned in some articles, uh, a while ago, but I personally am not a huge fan of, uh kojima games like mm -hmm. i don't have anything against them mm -hmm. but i feel it's just i feel something i i don't understand and even when the people get burned by his games they still depend i'm like they still well, line up okay. for the next one like because i was like i would i would have played uh mgs5 if that flaming whale had actually been in it but yeah. apparently, but it never was <laughs> but it never was i was like what is this weird get like the but game that was got to the root of kojima though is that yeah. in my opinion he's yeah. mostly well, style and very little substance correct but which is what feeds into this because it's despite that guy who loves to put so much style and art into his games he has professed a couple of times that he doesn't consider video games art yeah he, that is he odd can, he considers the process of making them an art like an experience and stuff like that and it led me to think um because i was thinking about um, like Easy Alice is their hall of greats that they do once a quarter where they induct a game. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to look and I'm like, oh, I love so many of these games. But if you take it under that guy's, because Kojima is like, well, if you compare a video game to say the Mona Lisa or Lawrence of Arabia, like those things still have the same impact today for someone seeing it for the first time. Yep. Then, um, as they did hundreds of years ago when it was painted or decades ago when it was filmed, it still yep. has that impact. Yep. And I'm like, is there honestly from a un from a completely virgin uh, perspective, if you went and played any of those old games, would they actually hold up? There's a few that are like like because the, the puzzle aspect of Tetris or there's a few things like that that I think could still appeal, but if you had no knowledge whatsoever of the legend of Zelda and went back and played Ocarina of time. Would it be this 10 out of 10 experience that it was back then? Your and, the answer for that is definitely no, no, definitely yeah. Not. yeah. Like, and so I kind of understand the more, and I was just wondering what are your thoughts on kind of the more consumable or disposable um, <laughs> nature of video games. If you don't have the history or nostalgia to back it up, because people can still go back and like, oh, I found this old gem. I never played. I loved it. Yep. But if you were not a gamer and went back and played um, 
Soul Reaver. The first Soul Reaver. Yeah. On play, or play on Metal Gear, the first couple Metal Gear games. Yeah. 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 Even okay. the Nintendo Metal Gear. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. That wouldn't be fun to you this at, at this point. And what, what are your thoughts on that? There's a lot to unpack there. So first of all, Kojima, I, I have always felt that he was overrated. That's just my personal opinion. Um, my, that opinion really went against the grain 15 years ago. Um, for instance, when we reviewed Metal Gear Solid 3 on X-Play, I gave it a three out of five. And there were like death threats against Adam and Morgan because people always thought Adam and Morgan reviewed the games when they didn't. They were just voicing the reviews after we, after our editorial team had reviewed them. So they always caught the the tough end of the stick on that stuff, which sucks. Um, and I've kind of fought that battle for a long time. The Metal Gear Solid Three is not a very good game, and I you go back and play it now. I can't imagine anybody playing that game in 2021 who was honest would say that that's a good game now. It, it, there's so many things about it that are absurd. Uh, like the whole CQC system is all wonky and way too complicated. The whole hunting and eating food, the bandaging when you get all of it, it just, it sucks. And it sucked back then too, but people just didn't want to admit it. Sure. The game has a couple cool boss fights. A couple cool, cool boss fights do not a game make. I'm sorry. Um, I still do. I still do enjoy playing the first metal gear solid. And the second one, I can play a good bit of it before it starts to feel long in the tooth. Um, I think people need to accept that those old 3D games are never going to hold up. They're not. Um, they just don't. Now, I would argue that a lot of the old 2D stuff does. The yeah. Metal Gear? No, not really. Because <laughs> even outside of the 2D perspective, stealth mechanics have evolved so much since then that it feels archaic and ancient when you play it now but there are other mm -hmm. 2d games that i can play now or i can buy for my nieces or my nephews now and they have no problem playing it you know there are still puzzles are always going to hold up so the more game the less games rely on production values and sort of action gameplay in general the more that they hold up so game mm -hmm. adventure games like you can still play mist and that's still pretty interesting because it's just all puzzles um, when you start getting into 3D visuals, polygonal visuals, they're never going to hold up. They're just not. Like, I don't care how many people try to do these 98D makes that have, were kind of a thing for a while. Those games still look like crap. Um, and so the other thing I would say, though, is that the point that we're at now, I think we're good. Now that games are in 4K, I really feel like they're going to start aging a lot, a lot better over time. Because... We've kind of reached that final frontier. 8K is not going to make a difference. The only mm -hmm. thing that's going to change, we're going to be playing in 4K or 8K, but telling the difference between the two is like almost impossible. We're going to be playing in that resolution probably until I'm dead. But as the machines become more powerful, those 4K visuals are going to become more detailed. Um, and maybe in 20 years, you know, Resident Evil Village does look dated. I find that hard to believe though. And mm -hmm. so I think we're going to eclipse kind of that uncanny valley with visuals or that zenith that we've reached with visuals i think we're there we're at the top of the mountain now um and so i don't think that's going to be a factor on whether games hold up or not over the long yeah, haul i think it'll the, go to more stuff like yeah. films why do films hold up now it's not you have two things shot or whether they're color or black about. and yeah, white yeah. it's is the story good and is the story told well yeah and i think that those elements of video games 
are going to become more and more important as to whether a game holds up or not as time goes on. Yeah, because because even just the ease of transfer of medium, like uh, the Mona Lisa, you take a picture with it, your phone, you carry it somewhere, like you reproduce it however many times you want, and it still has the same effect, yeah. even if it's not the original yep. film for like, yes, uh, maybe like if Lawrence of Arabia got buried in a vault like the real and it was found 500 years later and everything's changed. People would pick it up. It was like, oh, this is a string of pictures. We can find a way to to review this. Like, yeah, yeah. like we can recover this. We can recover this art. But like well, the again, other thing about film, too, is that they've yeah. been shot at 4K for decades and decades. Yeah. So it's not mm-hmm. like even transfers you know as long as it's a 4k it's good so those transfers yeah. 500 years from now are going to still look great because you get the law of diminishing returns after 4k and so um film has had that advantage art is always going to be high resolution yeah. <laughs> painting is always going to look at like high resolution when yeah. you look at it so and, and games games just have um more things that have a clock on them like yep. how you play them the design that went into it whereas like film you got yeah the storytelling and does it look good or sound good to view? Good. Did the actors three... deliver on their performances? Yeah. yeah. You got three things to worry about. But games, it's like, can you interact with it anymore? Uh, does is... the online stuff even work? Is that, yeah. are the servers still up? I mean, yeah. There are parts of games that are never going to correlate directly to yeah. any other art form. I would say yeah, most games like are not the same type of art like or don't have the same eternal like art ability as those other things. I think a few do like you could still take a look at that and like, wow, that was pretty cool. And that's a great story. That's still an art. Yep. But I, I think more games, uh, if you look at them honestly with uh, with no back catalog of information, you'd be like, this is not good com- with what we have going on these days. Yeah. Um, Example. I mean, the- the Achilles heel for video games is that people have to play them and the way we play games has continued to evolve and will continue to evolve. And that tends to be, you know, a lot of times the developer will figure something out that's been repeated in games for years and years and years. And just one guy has an idea that's like, how about we do it differently? And maybe he doesn't nail it the first time he tries it, but somebody else sees it and then they iterate on it. It goes back to what I say all the time about iteration. That is the key to everything. Everything successful is iterated on. And I think, you know, a lot of times someone comes up with a great idea, someone takes it and runs with it and actually knocks that idea out of the park. And that to me is the big part about games. I think even in now that they're in 4K, that will date games going forward. Interfaces, how things are handled, how you manage stuff in games, how it feels to control them, what kind of control interface you're using. Um, I think we're starting to see some advances in that with VR, with, you know, finger tracking and things like that. Um, Stuff like that is eventually just going to be expected in games and going back and playing even some really good games from the PS4 era may see, they may seem a little creaky at that point. So, you know, the best part about games is something that makes games feel dated over time, which that is actual interaction. It's pretty ironic. Well, a good example, I think, is Mario 64. I mean, it's a great game. It's still fun, but that camera control system is so outdated. It's funny because when I played it, I felt like being good at the camera was part of being good at the game because I would go to someone's house and watch them play it, and it was a nightmare. Like, they didn't weren't good at using the C buttons to control the camera. I'd be like, hand it to me. And, like, when I played it, 
it was like watching a trailer. Every single segment of the game was perfectly framed. It was exact. The camera was exactly where I needed it to be to make sure I could jump where I needed to jump. You got good at the camera as if it were a gameplay mechanic. And you're right. That's completely archaic and insane now. And nothing, nothing like that will ever come back again. So yeah, that is a, that is a really good example of kind of what I was talking about for sure. Anything else, Mike? Nope, that was it. Jason, what's up, man? You got a question for me. Hey, yes. Um, uh, just by coincidence, uh, my question is sort of related to what you were just talking about a second ago. Okay. Um, you know, if you go back to, you know, games in the 70s and 80s, like when they first started on so like pre-console, like, Atari, you know, main, mainframe and, television. and Oh, you're talking about PC it, stuff. Okay. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about like mainframes with dumb terminals type of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, the, the original controller was a keyboard basically. Yeah. Right. Which is like a finger pushing a button. And then in console world, we had like still fingers that are still kind of basically pushing buttons. Maybe it's a round button that moves in a circle, but it's still basically a button. Um, in 50 years from now, what, what is going to be the next big paradigm? Like, it seems like we're, we figured out how to make controllers and keyboards and mice work. We figured all that out. Mm -hmm. The next thing has been VR. That's been the only kind of truly different thing that's happened, but commercially it hasn't caught on. Artistically, it hasn't really caught on very much. There's very few titles that are financially it hasn't really caught on yet. That's the most important part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, um, you know, what, what's going to be after VR 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, what is gaming going to look like from an experiential point of view? Well, I can tell you what's next and it's not going to be 50 years from now until it's here. It is controlling games with your brain and your eyeballs. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but they just released a tech specs for PlayStation VR two this week. Um, and it has eye tracking. It follows your eyes and what you're looking at. And they're using it right now, not for control, they're using it to help it run the graphics look and run better. So essentially what the game is doing is wherever you're looking is rendered. They'll make the graphics look better. Is rendered at the highest looking, fidelity. They'll like cut down on the polys or something. Yep. So it's like they there's a thing called occlusion calling in game development where things that aren't on camera, on screen, on the game, either aren't rendered or rendered very crudely. And that frees up resources so that what you're actually looking at looks as good as possible. Well, this is kind of occlusion calling using your eyeballs. So whatever you're looking at is razor sharp. Things that are on your periphery are blurry. Textures aren't, aren't as crisp, aren't as high, as high resolution. Maybe some of the objects are lower poly. Um, I talked on Game Face, I think it was last week, about what Ratchet & Clank is doing with its ray tracing, where if you see a reflection of something, the model that you're seeing in the reflection is actually a lower poly, lower poly model than what's in the actual game. And people just run past it and don't really pay attention to it. Um, so I think that that is the next paradigm. Um, controlling things with your eyes because the eye tracking is already there. Somebody just needs to collect the dots between the eye tracking and the controls and how that might work. Um, there are games like Super Hot and a lot of VR games where you just kind of like, instead of moving through the world, you just kind of warp from place to place. Um, I think it could work in something like that. And then there's controlling games with your brain, which this I think is a little further out but there are already monkeys controlling things with their brains. Like the technology is already in the early stages of development. And I think that's the next paradigm. I don't think we're going to be using our hands. I think carpal tunnel is going to be a thing of the past. 
Um, if you are using your hands, it's not going to be something in your hands. It's going to be a camera that tracks like your whole body while you're playing. Um, I think the future of game control is not having a controller in all honesty. Maybe it's a VR headset that you wear to track your eyes. Um, and then another camera, an outward camera that can see your hands and your body or something like that. Or it's just a little diode that you put on your temple that just senses your brain activity. And I think it's probably going to become one of like those things. Black mirror style. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's probably going to become something that you get better at as you use it. Like I think people, when they first try it, they'll be able to kind of control stuff. But I think over to like the first game will probably be like Tetris with using your brain or whatever. And all you have to train yourself to do is like rotate an object and make it go down. And it takes people two weeks to learn how to do that with just their brain without their hands. And then the next game is like a 2D whatever. And then it moves up to polygonal stuff. And eventually, 10 years later, we're all controlling games with our brains. So I think that's the next paradigm. I don't think it's 50 years away. And I think once you have that, there's really no need for a new interface. That's it. Like we've, it's kind of like the Zenith where we're at with 4K right now with resolution. That would be the Zenith for video game controls. At that, at that point, when you can think something and it happens on screen, what other control method do you need? Unless you want to be active or you're using gaming to stay in shape or exercise or whatever. Um, but again, going back to what I said earlier, in those cases, it would probably just be a camera that films you while you're exercising and picks up your movements and blah, blah, blah. Everything is just continuing to get smarter, more intuitive, and require less input from human beings. And some people may hate that. In manufacturing, it's obvi obviously going to be an issue eventually when robots do pretty much every job imaginable because they're getting to the point now where they can do almost anything. Um, and I think you're going to see automation like that even come into things like games where you sit down to play a game, you just sit down and think. Um, will people like that? You know, a lot of it will depend on does it make you tired? You know, is it like concentrating all day at work? And when you go home after work, you just like pass out on the couch. I don't know. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how the technology ultimately plays out, but it's already out there. It's already happening. It's only a matter of time until they get working on humans. And so I think that will be the next paradigm. Save you money. Oh, too. cool. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like I don't want to have to keep cracking open my, my dual shock controller to install a, a battery that's got, you know, 9,000 milliamps. Like yeah. I'd rather just not. <laughs> yeah. Know? Well, obviously, you know, the diode that you put on your temple, that's going to cost a lot of money probably, you know, and you're probably going to need a diode for your friends. If you want to play with your friends or whatever, or they'll have their own or whatever. And in, in honesty, we may be just wearing a diode on our head, like all the time by then, you know, because it's used for more than just controlling video games. It's controlling our cell phone and our tablet and our house, like our thermostat and our house. Like I can't even really based upon what, life was like when I was a kid versus how it is right now, I honestly can't even fathom what is going to be happening in 50 years because the acceleration has been so extreme. I mean, you've got to realize that we've gone from Atari 2600 to Resident Evil Village in like 30 years. Think about that. Think about mm -hmm. cars, how advanced they've become in the last 30, anything. The, mm -hmm. the more technology we have, the more quickly technology advances because you use the prior technology to, de to develop the new technology. So Correct. We, but we don't necessarily see exactly what direction it's going because look at all like the old sci-fi stuff. Like they right. imagined flying this, this like instant yeah. food, that, all this stuff, but they still had a computer the size of a shed. Yeah. <laughs> like, like a lot of it's like, practicality though. It's like, do we need flying cars really? Like they'd be nice, but 
because we have all this infrastructure that's built already, it presents a lot more challenges as far as air traffic control and things like that. So I think for most people, getting around inside a city, most people are fine just using electric cars or whatever, or things that are on the ground because we've already had the infra infrastructure built. It's like- I'll tell, I'll tell you one thing. I don't, I, in my lifetime, I don't think I'd ever trust a auto driving vehicle to drive me through Conestoga. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At night. I don't nope. have an auto driving nope. vehicle. I think I would trust it on the interstate, though. Like the, the technology giant, is pretty yeah. much there at this point. But you're right, driving around town, letting it parallel park. Like you know, Teslas have that thing where you just press a button and the car comes to you. I don't trust that yet at all. Like I won't even trust my car pulling out to try and come and get me right now. But yeah, see what see what happens in Cyberpunk. They can't even do it virtually in a video <laughs> game correctly yet. <laughs> That's a good one. Um, but you're right, though. It is interesting how we think the future is going to be and how it ends up being. And I think a lot of that just comes down to practicality and cost because we've spent so much money building this infrastructure that's on the ground, starting over in the sky and building like highway networks and ways to monitor it and track it. Because you got to remember, you're still going to need like stoplights in the sky because you're going to have cross traffic just like you do anywhere else. So a lot of it, I think, just comes down to practicality and cost um, and prior investments, things that we've spent already a lot of money on developing. Um, it's really difficult once you've done that to kind of kind of just trash it and move on to something new. Um, yeah, and, and, I think that, and finite resources and yada, right. yada, 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 yada. Yeah, so it all ties into it. But it is fascinating to think, you know, what will technology be like in 50 years? It's fun to do. Um, and a lot of people have tried. And I mean, I'll say this too, like a lot of it's been right. You know, a lot of the sci-fi stuff that we saw from back in the day. And I don't know if it's just society fulfilling prophecy because they've seen it. And so they think that it's something that should be, so they make it be, or if it's just a natural order of things. But truth is a lot of the stuff that we saw in sci-fi in early sci-fi films, a lot of it has come true. And a lot of people are still reaching for that hollow deck from star trek you know a lot of it, people still talk about it you know when is yeah. vr gonna be good enough that it's like the holodeck like yeah. so we, there are we at least we at least already have dick tracy's uh two-way wrist tv yeah <laughs> we already got those yep absolutely and i mean it's funny like and i didn't look i didn't think i would want a watch i had not worn a watch in 25 years like i just i never wore them in the first place like i was a skater i was always active watches just got in the way or they would get banged on stuff or whatever. And then the Apple watch is released and I didn't bite for the first like three versions of it or whatever. And then my wife got one and I saw how she used it and how functional it actually is and how I no longer had to take my cell phone everywhere with me if I didn't want to. I could leave it in the car and go on a hike or whatever. It frees things up and so I changed my mind and now I have an Apple watch and now I wear a watch for the first time in 30 years. So technology also has the ability to change your perception of things that matter. And, um, you know, that to me is also a fascinating to kind of look at what's going to happen 50 years on down the road. Like what things do we think are irrelevant now that could become viable again as technology advances and they find kind of a new spin or twist on, on it. All right. Thanks guys. That was great. Those are great questions. Like <laughs> you guys made me think <laughs> I like that. Um, a lot of times when we do like the ask Shane anything questions, just like people pre-submit them or whatever, like I didn't have to think about a lot of those because I don't think, I think when people are just writing something in a forum or whatever, they don't think about it that much. They're like, I'm just contributing, which is cool. Like, you know, anybody who even asks a question, I appreciate it. 
But I think when you know your voice or your likeness is going to appear, I think it raises the bar for you too. And I think maybe you think about the questions a little bit better. Every one of these live ones we've done, like I've been asked like three or four questions and it's made it through the whole hour. That's the crazy part. If you think to other episodes of Ask Shane, I do like five or six questions in like 15 minutes. Some of my answers would be like two sentences. So I think this makes the show better and it's all thanks to people like you showing up. So thanks guys. I really appreciate it. Have a great weekend. If you're playing Mass Effect, have fun. Uh, until play Resident Evil, have fun.